welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you everything in your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and TNA. TNA finally had an episode on this week, so I will be talking you to you guys about that, as well as a uh, couple things that happened on their first pay-per-view back under the TNA banner, Hard to Kill, when I talk about TNA. But without further ado, you see the time. It's going to be a two-hour episode. So you see it. It's time to start the show. So we head to Monday Night Raw. Raw this week was, um, it was what it was. It did the best that it could do. The reason why I say that is because they were in Arkansas. Um, it was snowing, and it made it difficult for a large group of people, a large audience to be there on commentary. They would say periodically how the snow kind of stopped uh, fans from getting there, but they did thank the fans that were there in attendance. Um, you didn't get the big, elaborate uh, entrance set that you usually get for a regular Monday Night Raw set. You got like a live event set, which I didn't mind their stage. It was kind of different, and I actually liked for what we did get from the stage here from them. And hopefully, whenever they do these small arenas from time to time, I hope they do uh, those sets to make it just stand out and make it different. Um, Raw would open up with Cody Rhodes in the middle of the ring, but before you could say pretty much anything, I would walk Drew McIntyre. So now we get down to business with Drew and Cody. Uh, Drew, he would acknowledge both of their history, their similarities, their career paths, Talking about how they came up in WWE kind of together and Drew would even remind Cody of them being tag team partners and them being tag team champions as the dashing ones. And by the way, side note, I like that team when it was even them together just for a brief moment. I remember that era where the tag team titles were just being flipped from random teams and it just didn't make no sense. That team I thought actually made sense and I thought that actually would carry it on for some time, but... They only held on for a little bit. Anyway, back to the uh, objective here. Drew would remind Cody of how both of them left WWE and how when Drew was on his way back, he had his last match on the Indies with Cody, and Cody won it. And that Cody told Drew that he was going to be a future world champion, and Drew did that. He did it twice. Now he's here to tell Cody that he, too, will be a future world champion, but not right now. Drew's story has to be finished before Cody's story. Now you see Cody get at Drew and say that Drew won the Rumble. But now with Cody being in it, he can win the Rumble. Or someone like a Jey Uso. Or someone like CM Punk. And you will see Cody also give it up to Drew for saying, Yeah, when me and you did leave this company and when you came back, you won the Rumble. You made it into WrestleMania. You got to win your title. I did the exact same thing, but I didn't win. But the difference between you and me is that I'm not here sulking and complaining every left turn. And he would mention how Drew complains about the Judgment Day, complains about Jey Uso, complains about CM Punk, never really looking at himself in the mirror for this complaining. Drew, in return, will get at Cody for saying, you wear these suits out here, you're being political, you're being a kiss butt. You don't have to be that, but it seems that you want to do that here. And Drew, he's just not understanding why Cody isn't as angry as he is for Cody constantly getting screwed over the same way that Drew gets screwed over. Cody would tell Drew, listen, I'm not here to complain. I'm here to do the work. I'm here to always entertain. I'm here to win. And if I fail, it's all on me. And he would remind Drew of one thing of what Drew said earlier. 
uh, when they did have their last match before Drew came back to the Indies, Cody would go up to him and ask Drew who won that match and drop the mic and leave. For people that don't know, Cody and Drew had a match over in England in 2017. It was for a company called WCPW, and Cody did win that match. So, there you go. So, with Cody dropping the mic, you see Cody walk to the back. Drew's upset. He's pissed. And you can just see that we're now in a collision course for something could happen at uh, the Royal Rumble between these two guys. Now, it was affirmed to everyone later in the night that CM Punk did put up an Instagram post saying that him and Cody have to talk next week on Monday Night Raw, so we get that confirmed. Cody will be facing off against CM Punk face-to-face, man-to-man, probably in the middle of that ring, and we'll probably get a promo battle between those two guys. And I can't wait to see what Cody and CM Punk have to say, especially with their time being in AEW so short and how they're both back here, Cody and Punk, uh, both fan favorites. But Cody more than Punk, if I want to be honest. I would like to see how that interaction between these two guys are actually going to work. Now, after this, we go backstage. We see Damian Priest uh, confronting R-Truth over selling bootleg Judgment Day merchandise. Truth would give Priest his portion of the cut for the t-shirts and tell him, well, he got a portion for everybody. He got a portion for Dom, Finn, Rhea, not JD. And you even joke, say, I even got a portion for Tom and Nick Mysterio. Tom and Nick, Dominic, get drift. Damien will tell Truth that he needs to keep this stuff quiet. And also in their tag match later in the night, because Truth's supposed to be teaming up with the Miz, not to tag in. Truth would say, not tag in. Yeah, Priest would say, yes, not tag in. Truth would then say, oh, and like wink his eye at Priest. Kind of like saying, okay, like that's a signal for something, but you'll see what happens in their tag match later in the night. Um, first match of the night, however, will be a tag match. It'll be DIY going against Judgment Day's Dominic Mysterio, J.D. McDonough. DIY would win the match by pinfall by hitting meat in the middle on JD to win the match. Solid tag matchup to open up uh, Monday Night Raw with DIY gunning for the tag team titles. It makes sense for them to beat Dominic and JD uh, to establish themselves more as saying, okay, we already took out one team in the Judgment Day. We're going after the next, and that next is Finn and Priest who are the tag team champions. So that's kind of setting itself up there. Next matchup, we have another tag match. Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell going against Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. Candice and Indy would win the match by pitfall when Candice would hit a moonsault onto Chelsea, who was being draped by the second uh, rope by Indy Hartwell to win the match for their team. So the WWE Women's Tag Team Division is starting to heat up because Candice and Indy are throwing their hat in to face off for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, as well as Chelsea and Piper are trying to Climb up the ranks since losing their tag team titles two weeks ago. Now, after this, we would go backstage. We see the Judgment Day back there because they just saw a hype video for Nia Jax. Rhea, she would give Damian Priest a cold shoulder and walk away. And then you see Priest standing there with the Judgment Day. And you see Jamie Dunn asking Priest, why are they not taking care of R-Truth? Priest would sell them... Hey, calm down, relax. One thing Truth is doing for the Judgment Day is bringing in money for the crew. And he shows them the water cast that Truth gave him. And you see Finn and Dom both like have their eyes open up and Finn will say, where'd you get that? Truth. He got your pile and your pile. You better go find him. So you see how Priest is kind of more lenient 
to truth while everybody kind of wants truth out of here, kind of not want to deal with truth. Priest is kind of the guy like saying, hey, man, he's cool. Let him just do his thing. We all know he's not technically right up there, but he's good with me. So you see where this could lead into with the tag match later in the night. Now, moving away from this, we get to Imperium making their way to the ring. We have Gunther here. He's on, He's uh, back from being away from two weeks ago. Uh, he's here with Ludwig Kaiser, Giovanni Vinci, still not here. Gunther would talk about how he's uh, great to be here, but uh, he doesn't like how people are arguing about who's going to win the Royal Rumble. Because he has to remind everyone that last year he entered the Royal Rumble as number one and made it all the way to the end. And how he lasted longer than any other participant in the Royal Rumble history before. And how this year he's going to do the exact same thing. But this time he's going to win the Royal Rumble in main event WrestleMania. So Gunther throws his hat into the ring. Now after that we would go over to Gunther talking to Ludwig Kaiser about what Ludwig did to Kofi Kingston last week. In retaliation for Kofi injuring Giovanni Vinci two weeks ago. Gunther would like that Ludwig showed grit how he took up for Giovanni Vinci and that he would offer Ludwig a hug for standing up for his fellow comrade. So you see both Gunther and Ludwig hug each other. Then you see Xavier Woods come out, which I said would happen. Uh, Xavier comes out. Xavier gets at Ludwig Kaiser because of what he did to Kofi last week, and he says that he wants his pound of flesh. So you get a match between Xavier and Ludwig next. These two have a match. It will go to a disqualification because Ludwig Kaiser would win the match by DQ. When uh, Ludwig would try to throw the commentator uh, chair at Xavier Woods, Xavier would duck it, and you see him grab the chair and hit Ludwig with it, and then that's how the referee would call for disqualification. Uh, Woods and Ludwig Kaiser, as I said, Woods is getting at Ludwig because he get at Kofi last week, so he's trying to get some revenge for his New Day brethren. Uh, he does this. He beats up on Ludwig Kaiser. He beats up on him some more. Um, he tries to grab a steel chair. Kaiser would drop kick Woods in the face with the chair, and they just start brawling with one another. Uh, you see Xavier Woods grab the steel steps, and he looks to hit Ludwig with it, but Ludwig would duck it, run through the crowd, and that's how we would end this. And again, Xavier trying to get back at Ludwig because of what he did to Kofi, so he did what he was supposed to do. Now, we go backstage after this. Xavier is being questioned for why he went after Ludwig the way that he did, and before Xavier could fully answer, Ludwig Kaiser would attack Xavier from behind and beat him up until Jay Uso would run over and make the save, scaring off Kaiser. Now, here's my grand uh, plan with this, where I think they might be heading with this. You already know Gunther is going to be in the Red Rumble. Jay Uso is going to be in the Rumble. I think we're going to have a nice little moment between Jay Gunther at the Rumble and even might have Jay and Chad Gable, just just my thought here, eliminating Gunther in the Rumble before Jimmy ultimately causes his brother the Rumble match as well and throwing him out. But then after that, we move over into the Elimination Chamber. You get Jay versus Gunther for the Intercontinental title. Jay's coming so close to winning his first uh, singles championship. Then again, Jimmy Uso costs his brother to the opportunity to become Intercontinental Champion. And then you have Jimmy and Jay meet at WrestleMania. And then we move over to Chad Gable finally uh, achieving that promise that he made to his daughter to take the Intercontinental title off of 
Gunther and making her smile, and he does that at WrestleMania. That's my whole idea what could happen, what should happen, but we'll see what happens there. Next up, we have Akira Tozawa going against Ivar. Akira Tozawa will have Maxine Dupree in his corner, while Ivar will have Valhalla in his corner. Akira Tozawa would win the match by surprise by hitting a sunset uh, flip powerbomb on Ivar when Ivar was distracted with Maxine Dupree, who got on the ring apron because Ivar was looking to hit Akira Tozawa with a moonsault off the top turnbuckle. So when Akira Tozawa hits the sunset flip powerbomb on Ivar and gets the win by surprise, you see Valhalla attack Maxine Dupree after the match or beat her up. Ivar would beat up on Akira Tozawa. You see Ivar hit the moonsault on Tozawa, and that's the end of that. Again, the Vikings, they stand tall over Alpha Academy, and it was announced that Chad Gable will be going against Ivar next week because Chad Gable is looking to get some revenge for his uh, student, Akira Tozawa. So you got that match set for next week. Now, after this, we would get the uh, Raw or the Women's World Champion, Rhea Ripley, making her way down to the ring. She would say that she's sick and tired of women like Nia Jax running her mouth and claiming how they run this division while it is indeed Rhea's division because she has a title to prove it. And she makes it known that whoever wins the Royal Rumble, they got two options. Either one, they waste their time and challenge Rhea because Rhea is going to win at WrestleMania. Or either two, they can go and pick someone else because Mommy always ends on top. Now, once Rhea gets done saying this, we get Becky Lynch coming down to the ring, and Becky gets on the mic, and she talks about the similarities between herself and Rhea, and again, it's the same thing like the Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre promo earlier, but the difference would be this. Becky would talk about how she feels how she has lost a step, and how she needs to win the Royal Rumble, because she feels that right now in her head, Rhea is better than her. And the only way to silence those voices in her head is to win the Royal Rumble, face Rhea at WrestleMania, and beat her for the world's uh, women's championship. Now, once she's done saying all this, Rhea would tell Becky that you have no idea what you just said. Because let me tell you something, Becky. The only person who's rooting for you more than you is me. And then you see Rhea tell Becky point blank, I'll see you at Mania. So you already got this stamp of approval from Rhea telling Becky, I want you to win. I hope to see you at Mania. But I don't think Becky's going to win the Rumble. I think Becky is going to win the Elimination Chamber matchup at Elimination Chamber uh, pay-per-view to get her match with Rhea. Do I know who's going to win the Rumble for the women? No. But do I think it's going to be Becky? Not at all, to be completely honest with you. Um, After this, we'll get another tag match, Awesome Truth. R-Truth and Miz going against the Judgment Days, uh, Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Now, in this matchup here, you got Truth, who's still saying he's a part of the Judgment Day, teaming up with the Miz, and Miz is looking confused because uh, you got Truth over here being friendly with Priest. Finn, he's just beating up on Truth. Truth would beat up on Finn, but he will apologize for it because he just doesn't know what's going on, while Miz is just standing confused, like, okay, what is this? Miz would get in, he'll compete like a regular competitor, He'll beat up on Priest and Finn. Truth would just be standing on the apron. One Truth gets tagged in and Priest gets tagged in. You see Priest looking at Truth telling him, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be doing all this. You're not supposed to be hitting no one. What do I do? And then you see them both having a conversation. And again, you see Finn attack Truth from behind. Uh, 
Damien Priest is about to help Truth up, and you see Truth hit Priest with a jawbreaker, and you see Truth just, like, standing there as he gets to his feet, and Priest holding his chin. Uh, Finn would attack Pri uh, Truth again, and then Priest would get up, he'll hit Truth with a South Heaven chokeslam, uh, Finn would cover Truth, and then you see the Judgment Day win the match. So again, Priest, he didn't really want to beat up on Truth here at all, it's just that again, Truth, he doesn't know what's going on, nobody knows what's going on, we all think that Truth is a part of it, but again, Judgment Day is Judgment Day, we just like the whole deal with Truth is doing with Judgment Day, I know I do, and everybody else does, but again, Truth, being a part of Judgment Day, I like it, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens there, because I think at the end of the day, we're going to see all the Judgment Day turn up on Priest, Priest is going to uh, get turned on. Truth is going to be the one standing beside Priest when they all turn on Priest. And that's just going to be it. But when's that going to happen? I have no idea, to be completely honest. But Judgment Day wins this tag matchup. Next up, we have another tag matchup. We have uh, Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stars going against Natalia and Tegan Knox. Shayna Baszler and Zoe would win the match by submission when Shayna would get, I believe it was uh, Natalia with a Carefuda Clutch was then turns into the Bulldog Choke, and you see Natalia tap out. If it wasn't Natalia, it was Tegan. Uh, this was a throwaway matchup, in my opinion. Again, I like the women tag matchups that usually happen. I like the team of Shayna Baszler and Zoe Starks, but I want them to face other teams. It always seems that Tegan and Natalia, they always get beat. I want them to go off and do something else. Bring them down to NXT, allow them to do something there. Uh, but have Shayna and Zoe... Travel to SmackDown, have them beat up on people on SmackDown if that's what you want to do. But I do like this team of Shayna and Zoe, but I do want Natalia and Tegan to do something else, do something like of NXT magnitude or something like that. Because I'm just tired of seeing those two, that team in particular, just get beat up and just be like the beat up team. Now we go over to the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. We have the champion Seth Rollins defending it against the challenger Jinder Mahal, and he will have Indusheer in his corner. Seth, he would retain his World Heavyweight Championship by pinfall when he would hit the curb stomp onto Gender to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, again, this was a match. I don't think nobody was surprised about the outcome. Everybody kind of knew that Seth was going to win. Everybody had the hypothetical thought of what if Gender wins, Priest cashes in, Priest wins the title, and then we get Priest and Seth. Seth wins the title back. All this convoluted stuff, right? I didn't buy into that. I said, okay, Seth's going to win. It'll just be pointless to have Priest cash in on Seth or Jinder just right here. It makes no sense. Um, but Seth winning the match, again, doesn't shock no one. It shouldn't have shocked no one. But the thing with this match is that it got so much hype being built up into it because of the whole Tony Khan situation last week that you had commentators making sure that everybody realized that Seth and Jinder, they do have a story. Because Seth was the guy that beat Gender to become the NXT champion, the first one in history. Um, Gender is a former WWE champion, and how you can't be taking Gender lightly. And also, you have the team of Indusheer with Gender kind of interfering time to time. They really try to add all the trinkets and bells and whistles to this matchup, which you should. And also, you had Drew McIntyre and Priest down here. So, again, they add a lot of these different components. Priest. He would look to try to cash in Drew, which appear he would beef with Priest to retaliate for Priest trying to cash in on Drew when Drew had a match with Seth, I believe that was two or three weeks ago. 
So again, uh, we get Drew and Priest. They have their battle. And by the way, it says up for a match they're having next week on Monday Night Raw. And we have Jinder and Seth have a solid match. Which again, I said last week they were going to have a solid match. They were going to have a good match. Um, but again, I look forward to Samoa Joe and Hook. And I'll get to that match when AEW Dynamite, I talk about that. But that was the match I was really looking forward to. This one, I kind of knew the result. And I kind of was already like, alright, I'm just watching you know, like go by it. And that's the way I felt with this. Solid match, but everybody knew the outcome. Seth winning the matchup and uh, retaining his World Heavyweight Championship. So, with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we go over to NXT. NXT, they will start with the continuation of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. We have Idris Anafe and Malik Blake going against Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. Carmelo and Trick are better known as Trick and Melo Gang. They would win the match by pinfall when Trick Williams would hit Malik Blade with a running high knee to the face to win the matchup for his team. In Trick and Mello, they do advance to the semifinals of the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. Solid matchup to start the NXT uh, program. Uh, Idris and Malik, they came out in Dusty Road uh, garb. You saw Idris wearing the polka dot style pants, and you had Malik Blade wearing a headband with the polka dots. Uh, Trick and Mello, they came out with a remix of their themes combined together. Even Booker T, he would complain about how he's trying to find the rhythm because at one moment they'll be playing Whoop That Trick and then they'll flip over to Carmelo's uh, entrance. But both of these teams, they had a good showing. Idris and Malik, again, I have a whole lot of love for this team. Again, I said it before, I believe it was, what, 2022 or late 2021, whenever they had the Viking Raiders down there and they had a nice match with Idris and Malik. I thought, okay, they're going to start bringing these guys up and have them start doing other things with them, but they just didn't do it. I hope that 2024 is their year for Idris and Malik. I hope they do become NXT Tag Team Champions, to be honest with you. Um, but them losing to Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, it wasn't a shock because we got to continue the story of Carmelo and Trick. Carmelo wanted to be in the spotlight uh, and Trick just kind of being there for his partner as Trick is still going after the NXT championship, but he has to wait for Ilya to be clear, which we would get some clarifications on that later in the night as well because you see Trick and Melo backstage, they are talking about they can't go wait to go to Vengeance Day to be in the finals for the Dusty Tag Team Classic, and as they're talking to one another, you would see the NXT champion, uh, Ilya Dragunov, walk up. Ilya would apologize to Trick for not being able to compete at New Year's Evil because the medical team would not uh, clear him, but he does let Trick know that he is clear and that they will be having their matchup and they will happen at Vengeance Day. And you see Trick happy about it. Ilya walks away. Mello is looking confused by this. And you see later in the night how Mello has to talk to Trick and tell him, Dog, that's Vengeance Day. Me and you supposed to be in the finals for the Dusty Club uh, Tag Team Classic. And you see Trick kind of like realize, like, oh, snap. So. You get that, and then later, later in the night, like this is probably about the last segment for the main event, you see Trick coming back to Mello, telling him, Hey, dog, I'm sorry for how I acted. I just realized I've got an opportunity for the NXT championship. Uh, Mello would forgive him, and you just see them both getting back on the same page. You see both of them say, Hey, man, we're going to win the Dusty Tag Team Classic. And Trick says, but in the main event of Avengers Day, I'm going to face off Ilya for the NXT Championship, and I'm going to win that. You're going to become a 
uh, Triple Crown Champion in NXT. Well, I become a Triple Crown Champion as well, but I'll become in the NXT Champion and the NXT Tag Team Champion. I'll be dual champions at the same time. You see Trick walk away. You see Melo just standing for a minute, and he's kind of realizing what Trick just said. Like, oh yeah. So again, we're still in the we're still in the story of Trick kind of wanting the spotlight. He's always been in the spotlight. Trick's always been the sidekick or the guy that's been hyping up Melo. But now Melo's kind of in the reverse. Uh, situation, and you can just see it in Melo's face. He's not used to that, and he's not going to be used to that, and he's kind of not liking it. So we're going to wait and see about that, and we still have no idea who attacked Trick Williams, by the way. They kind of put that off to the west side and kind of waiting for that until the big like reveal, probably at Vengeance Day. So again, the story of Trick and Melo, I do like how they're doing it. I do like how they're slow burning this thing, and uh, again, I do like what they're uh, doing here. Now, next up, we have the NXT North American Champion, Obafemi, banging his way down to the ring so he could talk to the people. Obafemi would say that he isn't surprised to be standing here as your North American Champion because this was foretold. This is a prophecy that he's had since he was a small kid and that he always knew he was going to be bigger, taller, faster, and that he is a war leader. He has been tested as a young Nigerian prince, as he was in the NCAA, as a D1 athlete. And he's here in NXT, in WWE, to win championships. And that's what he did by becoming the NXT North American champion. And now he's here to be everyone's ruler. And again, the fans, they love Obafemi here. Every time he will make a statement or declaration, they'll always make like a whoo sound. So again, and you can see it Obafemi's face. He was loving them, making the sound every time. So he loves the fanfare. Uh, after he makes his declaration, Dragon Lee, he would come out. Dragon Lee would uh, talk about how Obafemi won last week, but he isn't mad at him because Obafemi is hungry. He took the moment and he made an impact. And now he's there holding the championship. And he hopes that Obafemi is going to make West proud the same way that Dragon Lee hoped that he made West Lee proud as well, which leads to uh, Dragon Lee kind of challenging Obafemi for a championship rematch for the North American Championship in an open challenge. Obafemi would say, nope, that isn't going to happen. And he was kind of say how that door for the open challenge is kind of shut, how he doesn't want to do that anymore. And Dragon Lee would kind of say that he's going to get his rematch and it's going to happen at Vengeance Day. Femi will say that he will decide if he's going to take that challenge or he's going to leave it. And you will see him leave the ring. I think we'll get Obafemi going against Dragon Lee at Vengeance Day. Again, you're going to have a good marquee matchup at Vengeance Day between the two guys. Uh, Obafemi, he's still technically new to the wrestling whole ordeal. They did mention on the commentary how he's only had five matches at NXT and he's already your North American champion. So again, just like when they did with Braun Breaker whenever he came in, to NXT, and they start putting him on television, they're counting it up, and they're really trying to show you how he's going to be the future of WWE, and I like that, and again, I still have a bone to pick how, why would you pick the freaking North American Championship instead of the NXT title when you have the breakout tournament, like, cash prize in your hands, I don't get it, but again, amen, if they're going to want to do a slow burn with Obafemi, cool, that's fine. But me, just in particular, me as a fan, I just would have had him just go after the NXT championship. But 
I'll take what we got here. Now, after this, we go backstage. We see Eddie Thorpe backstage in the locker room. You see the people kind of congratulating him on winning his uh, pit fight against Dijak a couple weeks ago. And then you see Trey Bearhill welcome to Eddie and thank him for representing the Native American culture in WWE, not allowing Dijak to disrespect them. And then you see Dijak walk up on Trey Bearhill and Eddie, and he kind of makes fun of them both. Trey Bearhill walks up to Dijak, and you know where this is going. You're going to get a Dijak going against Bearhill match later in the night, and that's what we get. Now, we move from this, we go to a tag team matchup. We have Alexa Lopez and Lola Vice going against the team of the NXT Women's Champion, Lyra Valkyria, and Tatum Paxley. Tatum Paxley, she's out here wearing uh, Lyra's gear. And Lyra, she's unaware of it until she looks at Tatum and sees that her gear is on her. And I guess we're starting to get the understanding of what Tatum wants from Lyra. I think Tatum wants to be there for Lyra, be there in a way that Mickey James was with Trish Stratus, kind of like be the obsessive fan to Lyra here. And I can see it. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, in the end, Lyra and Tatum would win the match by pinfall. When uh, Alexa Lopez is down, uh, Lyra and Tatum are in the ring. You see Lola kick Tatum with a roundhouse kick. Tatum would get dropped onto Alexa Lopez. Lyra would kind of throw Lola out of the ring. And as Tatum's on top of Electra, the referee would start making the count and count one, two, three. That's how Lyra and Tatum would win the match. So that was the match there. But the biggest story coming out is that we now know what's up with Tatum. Tatum wants to just be there for Lyra and kind of be like her biggest fan in a creepy stalker way. And again, I'm cool with it because I lived through the age with Biggie James and Trish Stratus. I saw that whole thing played up. If we get anything close to that, I'm cool with that because I always like this whole stalker, uh, fanboy, fangirl style gimmick with professional wrestling. That storyline, I do like it. So if that's where we're going with these two, I like it. And I hope they uh, continue going on with that. Now, next up, we had another matchup. We had Joe Coffey with Gallus in his corner going against Rich Holland. Ridge would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Northern Lights uh, bomb, or as he calls it, the Northern Grit, onto Joe Coffey for the win. After the match, Gallus would beat up on Ridge Holland, and at different points of the beatdown, you will see the camera uh, cut, like, cut to the entrance, and at that point, you think that someone's supposed to run down and, like, help Ridge, but nobody runs down to help Ridge. Not a single soul. Gallus continues to beat up on him. They'll make another camera cut, and nobody runs over to save him. In the end, nobody saves Ridge. He gets beat up by Gallus, and this is probably going to lend credence to the whole idea how nobody wants to help Ridge because they see Ridge as a liability because he's been putting people on the shelf. He has a history of that, putting Biggie. They don't say Biggie, but I'm pretty sure they're going to name him Biggie. Uh, he put... Uh, Ilya on the shelf, but Ilya's back. And again, I can see them kind of listing that stuff off whenever they're going to mention why nobody wanted to help Ridge in the weeks to come when Ridge mentions this. So I like the story that they're doing with Ridge Holland and also commentary Booker T even said, I wish Ridge would just admit that he likes hurting people instead of creating this fake facade of saying that he didn't mean to do it. Because there's going to be a point where I think Ridge is going to admit 
saying, yes, I do like hurting people. I do like putting people out because that leads me to climb the ladder here in WWE or NXT. I think that's where the story might be going. If it is, that's cool. If it's not, I hope they do go that way. So there's that. Uh, next up, we had um, the other Dusty Tag Team Classic matchup. We had Chase U, which represented by Duke Hudson and Riley Osborne with Andre Chase in their corner going against the LWO, who's represented by Toro Cruz and uh, Joaquin Wild with Selena Vega in their corner. LWO would win the match by pinfall when Wild would hit a moonsault onto Duke Hudson, and then you see Toro Cruz hit a Phoenix Splash onto Duke Hudson to win the match. Solid match from both teams. Uh, LWO being main roster talent coming down to NXT, helping out, doing this Dusty Tag Team Classic, and now they're moving over to the semifinals, where they'll be going against both Trick and Mello. I do like that. I like where this is going. And again, LWO getting the win here over Chase U. It doesn't hurt Chase U because their whole story of Chase U is how they're coming out of the mud from Andre Chase kind of squandering their money their tuition money. So them losing here, it doesn't hurt them storyline-wise. And LWO just getting a win in general here, I think it helps out LWO, in my personal opinion. Uh, next up, after this, we had Jack going against Trey Bearhill. Jack would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a discus big boot onto Trey Bearhill. Now, the thing about this match is that Joe Gacy, he's been unhinged for a good I'll say a month and a half now. Joe Gacy, he just appeared on commentary wearing a vintage uh, WWE commentator jacket. And he was just there commentating. At one point during this matchup, you saw um, Joe Gacy on commentary. Dijak and Trey Bearhill, they were fighting outside of the ring. Dijak started getting into Vic Joseph's face, who's a commentator, and Booker T, who's a commentator, and just starts yelling at both of them and even yells in Joe Gacy's face. The referee at this point is looking at Trey Bearhill. Joe Gacy would headbutt Dijak. And you see once Dijak moves away because he's looking at his head and feeling his head. And then he turns back to look at Joe Gacy. Trey Bearhill standing in front of him. And you see those two just go back at it. I think Dijak and Gacy are going to have something here. Because Gacy, as I said, has been um, unstable for at least a month and a half. And I think this is going to lead Priest to Dijak wanting to get at Gacy for the headbutt that he gave him here. Um, probably next week on NXT. It was not announced, but we'll wait and see if it probably does just happen next week. Um, anyway, after the match, uh, Joe Gacy attacks Dijak. They brawl up the ramp. In the ring, Trey started to get to his feet, but then you see Lexus King appear and attack Trey Bearhill with a knee to the back and then hit him with a straight jacket. Uh, neck breaker to lay Trey Bearhill out. Then you see Lexus King look over Trey Bearhill and start slapping him in the face twice, telling him that he cost him the big match in his career, which happened in the uh, breakout tournament against, I believe it was Riley Osborne. Because if he would have beat Riley, he would have faced Obafemi for the contract, the breakout tournament contract. So with Lexus King losing because of Trey Bearhill's like distraction. This is why he's getting a trade barrier for retaliation. And it was announced that next week you see Lex King going against Trey Bearhill in a one-on-one uh, contest. Now, moving away from this, we get 
Josh Briggs, he's backstage, he's on his iPad looking at something. Then JBL walks up to him. JBL would ask Josh Briggs, do you know why I picked you for the Iron Survivor Challenge Qualifier? Briggs would say, because I'm a big man and you like big guys. JBL would say, yeah, that's true, but no. I picked you because you have something and you need to find who you are. You need to find who Josh Briggs is. JBL would recall his time of finding himself whenever he was with the APA, with Farouk, playing cards, drinking beer. But once he had to get away from the APA, he found himself and how he found the wrestling god. Josh Briggs, he has to do the same thing. Now that he's um, away from his team, he's now himself. He has to find out who is Josh Briggs. And that's a journey that Josh Briggs only has to uh, do. Josh Briggs would thank JBL for the kind words, and JBL would walk away. I do like this. I do like how JBL is being brought into this because JBL did pick Josh Briggs. Josh Briggs is using the clothesline from hell as a finishing maneuver, as kind of an homage to JBL. So I do like that we do get the JBL come in here to kind of speak words of wisdom to Josh Briggs, and hopefully this give some credence to Josh Briggs hopefully finding himself and finding who the real Josh Briggs truly is. Now, we go over to the main event. It's the NXT number one contenders uh, women's championship battle royal where the last four women will be competing in a fatal four-way match immediately after the matchup here. Now, before the matchup will even begin, um, the commentators will let everyone know at home the core Jade, she was supposed to be in this matchup, but she is injured with a torn ACL. She had that happen to her at a live event, and the woman that she went against um, at the live event, she's in this matchup, and she kind of took her spot. And I believe the woman's name was uh, Warren uh, Sinclair. Sinclair is a former independent wrestler who was on... Um, NWA, I can't remember her name on NWA, but she just got signed to WWE, I'll say, early January. So her now being in this spot and her kind of being to the last, I'll say the last six women in this matchup, it makes sense story-wise because why are you going to eliminate someone that took out one of the biggest um, potential names to win this match, Cora Jade? Why would you take her out of here? Why would you take out the woman that inadvertently injured Cora Jade? Why would you have her be eliminated early? So you have her there for the final six, have her be eliminated in that position because now she has a lot of uh, growth and a lot of eyes on her now. Ultimately, the last four women in this matchup would be Kiana James, Roxanne Perez, Fallon Henley, and um, Kalani Jordan. Um, Roxanne Perez, she would win the match by pinfall, by hitting... Pop Rocks on Kalani Jordan to win the matchup to become the number one contender for the NXT Women's Champion Chip at Vengeance Day. So after Roxanne would win, you see Lyra Valkyria walk out. Lyra Valkyria would clap it up for Roxanne, then hold up the NXT Women's Championship, and that's how NXT would end. NXT was a variety show, but I like it. Again, this is their developmental system, but I like it everybody and I like everything that's going down in this show and again the big thing that's holding up everything is the trick and mellow uh with Ilya Dragunov situation but everything else underneath that the story from Chase U um the Lola Vice and Electra Lopez business that's happening now because 
Lola Baishitu and Alexa Lopez in the Battle Royal, and now these two are brawling after Alexa Lopez uh, sees Lola Vice gets eliminated. You just see these two ladies brawling. I like that story happening. I like the story of Lyra Valkyria, Tatum Paxley. I like that. I like the story that they're having with Ridge Holland. Everything down there at NXT is just like booming. I like what they're doing. And again, I make this plea. If you did not watch, or if you are not watching NXT because of what they moved away from the black and gold era, I suggest you need to go back and start watching it now. And give it some time. I know the first watch might not be your cup of tea, but just continue watching it. Give it a month and watch their premium live event that's going to happen, Vengeance Day. And then after that, I think you're going to like it. If you don't, you can at least say you gave it a college try, and then you can go about your day and time and reminisce about old black and gold NXT. Now, with that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would open up with the TNT Championship being defended. The TNT Champion Christian Cage with Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne in his corner going against Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Christian Cage would retain his TNT Championship by pinfall by beating Dustin with the kill switch to retain said championship. Solid match between Dustin and Christian to open up Dynamite. Uh, you had a real old-timey, like, old-fashioned style match between the two. You had Dustin performing the hits. He did the whole Shattered Dreams business. Um, he even pulled out some newer moves. I'm not going to say of his repertoire, but like newer moves that you see like the wrestlers of this generation do. You saw him hit a Canadian Destroyer on Nick Wayne outside of the ring after Nick Wayne and both Luchasaurus uh, tried to enter uh, fear in his match towards the end when Christian was kind of down and Dustin was... Uh, going to win said title as it looked, but with Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne interfering, Christian would retain said championship, and I did like the match. It shouldn't have been as good as it was, and this just reminds both of, well, I'm not going to say both, but it reminds everyone that Christian Cage and Dustin, they are still able to go. I think everybody knows Christian Cage is still able to go the way that he's been moving with his feud with Adam Copeland this past couple months uh, last year with him doing his business with Jungle Boy at the beginning of the year. I believe everybody realizes that Christian is still able to go, but just Dustin, he always pulls something whenever he's in those uh, big-timey feely matches, and this was one of them, so he was able to perform, and that just surprised me. So, uh, nice way to open up Dynamite here. Next up, we would have... uh, the best friends of Orange Cassidy and Trent Beretta going against Commander and Penta El Zero Mero. Best friends would win the matchup by pinfall when best friends uh, Trent would hit Commander with Dew Busters to win the tag match. Again, another solid match coming out of the Dustin and uh, Christian matchup. We had this tag match. Solid tag match from both teams. Uh, they would let everyone know that originally it was supposed to be best friends of Trent and Chuck Taylor going against the Lucha Brothers, but with Ray Phoenix and Chuck Taylor both dealing with some injuries at this moment. That's the reason why Commander and Arch Cassidy were plugged into each of the respective teams. Uh, you had the Luchadors doing what they're supposed to be doing. You had Commander being the high flyer for his team. Penta, he's just loved by the fans. He does uh, his little shtick that he does. Trent, he was being more aggressive. We're starting to see a much more aggressive side of Trent more and more. And Orange Cassidy, he just was Orange Cassidy. He still competed uh, to the best of his ability, but he was able to at least take a couple of 
levels back because he knew he had Trent on his side. And Trent, again, as I said, he's bringing the aggression now more than ever. I think when Trent came into AEW, he didn't have this much level of aggression. But as years have gone by with the best friends not winning any championships without Trent winning any type of championship in AEW, I think we're starting to see a lot of aggression coming out of Trent. And I've said this already. I hope that the best friends or private party or top flight become tag team champions before this year is done with. But I'll get more into top flight and uh, private party because they have to tag matchup later tonight. Well, against one another later that night. But um, this was a solid tag match between the best friends and Commander and Penta. After the match, you would have the United, well, the Undisputed Kingdom come out. Uh, everybody will be out here. You have the Kingdoms, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett and Roderick Strong, Adam Cole and Warlow. They would not be out here. They would be backstage. They would cut a backstage promo uh, later in the night. And it's the same stuff. Adam Cole said that Warlow wasn't uh, respected, but now he's with a group of people. He hasn't reached his potential yet, but you're going to see the real potential of Warlow mowing down everybody until he becomes uh, AEW World Champion. So that was the later promo that you get from Adam Cole and Warlow. But the promo they hear that you get from Roderick Strong looking at Orange Cassidy is basically him challenging Orange to a match for the AEW International Championship and Orange Cassidy was telling him, well, we can do it right now. And it seems that we're going to get that match at that moment. But Roddy would say, nope, you're going to have to wait until March 3rd at Revolution. So that match will be made official. Orange Cassidy will be defending the AEW International Championship against Roderick Strong at Revolution. Now, after this, we would go over to <laughs> a very uh, sentimental moment of AEW here. We have... Uh, Mark Briscoe come out on the stage because it is the one year anniversary since his brother Jay Briscoe uh, passed away. And I was shocked at that. Um, I really didn't know. I'm not going to say no to severity because I remember the timing in which he passed away last year. And WWE on NXT, they were the first people to actually like announce it to the world on television. But I, it came so quick how a year floats and how you just remember how it just happened. It feels it just happened. But um, with Mark Briscoe coming out on the stage, um, him getting the whole dim boys chance from the people because the people love Mark Briscoe. They know uh, his struggles uh, since losing his brother. But Mark Briscoe always tried to keep a, a smile on his face, but you can kind of tell this juncture right here, uh, he was feeling it. He was feeling the gravity of it all as he was talking to the fans, saying that he thanks them for everything and how uh, it's been a year since his brother passed. And he mentions how he was taken out in a car accident and in that car accident had Mark's uh, nieces, Jay's daughters in the car. And he mentions how at the time uh, the doctor would tell Mark and their family that, um, his niece, his eldest niece, wouldn't walk again. But with the grace of God, his niece is able to walk again. That's when you see uh, Jay Briscoe's kids come out on the stage, the oldest daughter, the son, and the other daughter come out on the stage. And Mark is just giving the testimony, church style, to the people, uh, saying how God is the man and all this type of stuff and saying how he's not going to stop. And he, again, just thanks everyone and um, 
it was a nice sentimental moment that we got here from AEW that they did for Mark Briscoe. It was nice that they did that for Mark. And um, after that, they got the memorial video package for Jay Briscoe. And again, you don't know how long you have in this life until something drastic happens. You don't know um, what you have until it's gone. And this was just one of those things that it's terrible whenever someone passes away. And uh, again, the gravity of it, it's it's uh, it's heavy. And I'm glad to see Mark is still able to deal with this day by day, time at the time. And um, hopefully within some time, he won't have to always cry whenever he has to talk about his brother in front of a big open set of people the way that he uh, did here. But I'm, again, happy to see uh, Jay's uh, daughter walking straight, walking fine. And uh, it was great to see Mark there with his uh, nieces and nephews on the stage as well. It was good for that. And go for the Briscoes. Um, after this, we would have Renee Paquette have an interview with the Young Bucks. And they will be like to uh, go by their given name, Nicholas Jackson and Matthew Jackson. And you see them looking, not in suits, but they look more professional. They still got their uh, hair and a ponytail, slick back. They have mustaches. And the gist of this was the Young Bucks are playing more into or leaning into all the rumors and everything since they are AEW EVPs and they're playing into the rumors about how they had to basically take out the trash, if you will. They took out um, condescending, egomaniacal, narcissistic, toxic, like, situation and Again, they're alluding to the whole incident that happened in 2022, the brawl out, and they're mentioning probably things that came from that and things after. They mentioned how they lost friends, they lost uh, part of their reputations and all these type of things. Again, they're playing into it. They don't really ever say if the allegations are true or if the rumors are true. They say, but what if they were? So they're doing a whole what if game, and they say... But if those things were true, and if you didn't have the access, will we do it all over again? Yeah, we would. Because if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have AEW still here today. You wouldn't have people here making a living, earning a paycheck. And he even asked Renee, you got your paycheck this week, right? Yeah, I thought you did. So, again, they're leaning more into the EVP stuff. They're leaning more into being the nasty guys that people have read on the rumor wheel and all these type of things. And then after they get done talking about that, they get down into brass tacks about Sting and saying how Sting is not like all the other former guys that came from other companies to come here because they wanted to just build off of their legacy and just be takers and just take, take, take. Sting has been everything but that. But he is last of the old guard, the old guard that the Young Bucks and AEW was designed for to kind of strip away, kick them out and have these new guys be the new faces of professional wrestling. Sting's kind of the last of that generation and the Young Bucks. They're just here trying to uh, send Sting out, get, just basically get him out the way. So you get this, Renee will ask them, so Sting has a match coming up for Revolution. What's going to happen? And you see Nick pull his phone out to Matt and say, well, we got, well, since we're EVPs, we could pull some strings. 
And you see them get up and they say they got a meeting to go to and they leave. Again, I'm a reserve judgment for the whole Young Bucks EVP character thing that they're doing now. This is just their first week of doing this character. I'm going to wait and see how it is going to be portrayed and how they're going to do it. Because, again, the Young Bucks being heels, they are one of the greats whenever they do it. Especially being snarky, smart butt heels. They're great. I'm going to see and wait to see how this all plays out. The only thing I will say right now is I wish they would have did this literally last year when homeboy CM Punk was there because we could have done business. We could have gotten all together. But since it didn't happen, we're getting it now. And again, I'm going to wait and see how it uh, all plays out. The only thing I will say is, is again, I wish they would have did this Literally in 2023 when Homeboy was there, because then guess what? You guys could have made money and it all would have just made more sense. It still makes sense now, but you get the point. The fans are just more now going to be booing them without a cause. That's just I would like to just have have them have a cause and have them have someone to fight with that would be on the magnitude of that level. The way it would have caught fire the way it should have done it last year if they were to do it. That's the only thing. But again, I'm still going to reserve my opinion to see how this thing all plans out with the Bucks and uh, this whole EVP angle, this whole EVP characters that they bring it on to the stage of AEW. Now, moving off of that, we will get to our another championship matchup is for the Ring of Honor six-man tag team championships. We have Bullet Club Golds, Austin Gunn, Colton Gunn, and Jay White going against the Mogul Embassies, Khan, Brian Cage, Toa Leona with Prince Nana in their corner. Bullet Club Gold would win this match by pinfall when Jay White would hit Blade Runner on Khan to win the Ring of Honor six-man tag team championships with assistance from Anthony Bowens because Anthony Bowens comes out because the referee is down dealing with Khan. Nana would get in the ring with the ROH six-man tag team championships. Anthony Bowens would run down, grab the six-man titles off of Nana, and you see Nana in the ring with Jay White. JY is looking at Nana, even doing a little swerve dance. He grabs Nana. Khan runs over to grab White. White looks at Khan, hits him with Blade Runner. One, two, three. New Ring of Honor six-man tag team champions. Solid match between all six of the guys. Uh, Blue Club Gold, they got new theme music. Mogul Embassy, they came out in all white gear. Again, looking sweet. The white gear, I will say it every time. Whenever someone comes out in white gear, it's always sweet and it's always clean. Nice choice. Um, the six-man tag match, it was straight. It was solid. I think everybody knew going into it that the uh, Bullet Club Gold was going to win it. If you didn't think that, I would like to know why you didn't think it. I think you should have thought. You think? Okay. Let me put it like this. In my personal opinion, uh, Jay White in this matchup is kind of like the main eventer for this match. He's going to win because he's a part of Blue Club Gold in there in a bigger situation than Mogul Embassy. Mogul Embassy is kind of playing the uh, sidekicks for Swerve Strickland, who's on the come up to be the next top guy for AEW. While Bullet Club Gold, they're kind of being entranced in this main storyline with themselves, the Acclaim, and the Undisputed Kingdom. So that's the reason why I think that everybody should have thought that Bullet Club Gold was going to win and become the new Ring of Honor six-man tag team champions. Now, that's just me. Now, getting off of that, after the match, you would see uh, the Acclaim standing on the stage looking at Blue Cup Gold. You see Anthony Bowens throw out the scissor hands, and you see 
everybody in Bullet Club go look at the acclaim. Jay White and Colton, they wouldn't pay no attention to it, but Austin, he would just stare at it because Austin is contemplating, and you probably might see Austin be the guy to kind of drag uh, Jay White and Colton to probably agree to this big super group. But again, we have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, after this, we will have Deanna Perrazzo going against Anna Jay. Tony Storm was on commentary. Deanna Perrazzo would win the match by submission when the Venus de Milo, which is a double arm trapped uh, arm, not arm breaker, but arm bar to win the match here. After the match, Deanna will get an interview with Renee Paquette. And all in all, we all know what this is building up to. It's all building up for Deanna Peraza to face off against uh, Tony Storm, more than likely at Revolution. And that's what we're building to. Uh, you would get Tony making some quick, like, little puns here and there on the microphone. And in the end, she would say her catchphrase, chin up, tits out, watch for the shoe. And you just see her give her shoe over to Mariah May. Mariah May would throw it at Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna would grab the uh, slipper, throw it back at them. And again, I see where we're going. I like the character which Tony Storm is playing. I even put it out on Twitter. Imagine if the doors were open and we could get the WWE, AEW, just blended situation just for one night. Imagine the R-Truth and Tony Storm promo that we would get out of it. The segment, it would be great. People would love it. Um, Tony Storm is great in the character, what she's doing now. She's making everything uh, great for herself and even great for commentary. She was great on commentary, messing around with Taz, uh, Ian Riccoboni, and even Excalibur. Um, but getting to Deanna Perrazzo and Tony Storm is going to be a great match when they get to it. Um, Deanna Perrazzo and Tony, they apparently have history. Deanna would mention that in the back and forth that her and Tony had. And again, I would like to see how they're going to build up more into it. But ultimately, we're going to get a uh, AEW Women's Championship match between the two at Revolution. Now, after this, we get to another tag match. It is the return of Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn going against Top Flight, Dante and Darius Martin. This is the first time Private Party has been in the tag match in a year. The last time they teamed up with one another was in December of 2022. Uh, Private Party, they would win this match by pinfall when Mark Quinn would get uh, Darius Martin in a O'Connor roll. And as the referee was making the count, Mark Quinn would grab the ropes towards the count of three to get leverage. And that's how Private Party would win over Top Flight. Great match for Private Party to come back. Great match for Mark Quinn to have on his first uh, match back since he, I believe he probably tore a peck or injured his peck. That's the reason why he was out for a good portion of 2023. Uh, this was, they mentioned how in the match, uh, Dante and uh, Mark were going at each other at a uh, portion in the match. Cause you saw both of them going at uh, each other's injuries. Dante would go after Mark Quinn's peck while Mark Quinn will go after Dante's ankle, the same ankle that he injured last year at Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. So that was a nice little story that we had here in the matchup here. But to end it off with Mark Quinn cheating for his team to win is going to open up different doors because people like Private Party. People were cheering for Private Party and it's going to continue to happen until they finally do something more 
dick dastardly to someone else, for them just to get a win here by grabbing the ropes, it's not going to get people to uh, boo them. I want to know what's going to get them to get booed. It shouldn't happen yet. Again, they just came back. They're a great tag team. They even hit uh, Gin and Juice, which is a Huracrana, into a cutter. I like that they did that here to play their old... uh, Play the old wrestling moves that they were doing before uh, Mark got injured. The only move they did not get to perform was Silly String. And I can't wait for them to buzz that move back out. But Top Flight here, it was great. Private Party, they were great. I hope to see them more in a tag team uh, capacity more down the line. Now, we move over into the main event for the AEW World Championship. We have Hook going against Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe would retain his AEW World Championship by submission when he would get Hook in the Coquina Clutch, and the referee would raise the arms of Hook three times, and when Hook would not respond, that's when he would call for the bell. This was a solid main event from Samoa Joe and Hook. Um, This was more of a 70-30. Hook came out full blast at the beginning of the matchup, running after Smojo, beating him into the corner a little bit, catching Smojo off uh, off balance for a minute. But as soon as Smojo got his wits, it was over. You start seeing Smojo beating up on Hook, uh, beating him down, and just getting at him, not maliciously, because he could have really mauled Hook, but he beats on him nicely. And then when he got outside the ring, that's when I'll say that he mauled him because he hits him with a uh, spinning uranagi on the commentator's table. And the commentator's table would explode and, like, destroy itself. But when he hits Hook's body on the commentator's table, you see Hook's uh, lower back hit the edge of the commentator's table. And Hook's head hit, like, the hard wood part on top of the commentator's table. So that was that was sickening. Uh, he even got tasked to take off his headset and say that, hey, I'm just trying to be professional, but guys, I got to look after my kid here for a minute. And at that moment, I thought we were going to see Taz walk over to Hook and kind of question him, see if he's okay or not. But you see the doctor go over to Hook, make sure he's all right, make sure he's okay. Samoa Joe, he would take like a king's walk around the ring, not showing any type of worry about Hook's health or anything like that. Uh, when you see him go back over to Hook, you see him start talking trash to him. Hook would give Joe the double bird. Joe would grab Hook, hit him with a powerbomb on the apron, get him in the ring, hit him with a muscle buster, uh, get the one. Hook would kick out. That shocked everyone. They even shocked Samoa Joe. Uh, Joe would get up, try to go after Hook, beat up on him some more. Hook would start responding and beat back up on Joe. Beat him on him a little bit, get able to hit him with the uh, exploded suplex, try to lock in Red Rum. That's when uh, Joe would reverse it, and that's when he would lock in the Coquita Clutch. Um, solid match between Joe, Hook. Um, I said it already. I thought it was going to be a... It could have went one or two ways. I said it last week. I thought it was going to be a massacre or it was going to be a competitive match, and I even put the statistics 70-30, and it was a 70-30 match for uh, Joe and Hook. And after the match, you see Samoa Joe start leaving the ring a little bit. Hook starts getting to his feet, and he just starts uh, looking at Joe, and he says to him, is that all you got? And at that moment, I thought we were going to get a 
uh, Undertaker Jeff Hardy moment from 2002, where Taker went into Jeff Hardy after Jeff Hardy just got done with a match with Taker for the WWE Championship in a ladder match. Undertaker went in, raised the arm of Jeff Hardy after he got up and tried to show more moxie. I thought that's what we're going to get here from Samoa Joe and Hook. Since Samoa Joe does have uh, connections to Taz, and he knows Hook since he was, uh, probably say, early teenager. But no, Samoa Joe gets back in the ring. He kicks Hook in the nuts, gets him on the top turnbuckle, hits him with another muscle buster. And you see him, again, roll out of the ring. Joe grabs the AEW World title, and as he starts walking again, Hook will start getting up, and he will mouth something to Joe again. Joe would turn around, look to get back in the ring, and he looks like he's about to do something to Hook, this time again, but uh, Hangman Page, he would run down to make the save, and Samoa Joe would leave. He'll start walking up the ramp, and then you just see Hangman looking at Joe, and then you see everybody start making the ooh a noise, and then they flip the camera cut over to Swerve, who's standing in the crowd. So you got all three guys who is in this big main event picture, Smojo being the AEW World Champion, Hangman, who wants the world title, Swerve, who really wants the world title, and we get this moment between all three of these guys. Joe would walk to the back. You see Swerve still in the crowd looking at Hangman now. Hangman is looking at Swerve, and the crowd is just constantly chanting, whose house, Swerve's house, whose house, Swerve's house. So vehemently, you can see that they're in the corner of Swerve. So I think they're probably going to have to, again, do something with Hangman, probably turn him a little bit, especially if he's going against uh, Swerve. People are in the corner of Swerve. There's nothing that you can do about it. You just got to ride the wave a swerve kind of being that guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Hangman Page because I think they're going to do swerve and Hangman again and this time probably inside a steel cage. I think that's the only way that you could probably get Hangman to still be looked at as a fan favorite with the fans still cheering for him. And if the fans don't cheer for him in the steel cage, then let that be known to AEO dogs. Y'all got to do something. Y'all got to turn it and have uh, Hangman just basically be the bad guy while swerve kind of be this tweener, Stone Cold Steve Austin character, who's a guy that does what he wants, but the fans still love him and cheer him, because he has a goal in mind, and the goal is, he wants to be world champion, and the people back him for it. Um, But that's how AEW would end. Swerve would lead the crowd, leave Hangman in the ring with Hook. Hook would get up, Hangman would help Hook up, about to raise Hook's arm up in the air. Hook would just wave off Hangman, say, nah, I'm good, and just leave out of the ring. And that's how Dynamite will end. So Dynamite was a good show. Uh, the main event was solid. As I said before last week, I had more expectation for Hook and Samoa Joe to be better than Seth Rollins and Jinder Mahal this week. And it delivered. At least in my opinion, I think Samoa Joe and Hook delivered more than Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins. But that's just me. Now with that, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into Impact, oh, excuse me, TNA Wrestling Impact. But before I get into that, TNA, it has been rebirthed. Uh, Impact has reformed back into TNA Wrestling. They had their first uh, show under the TNA banner, um, Hard to Kill, last Saturday. You had surprises of Ash by Elegance, 
um, formerly known as Deanna Perrazzo. That's her new name now in TNA. You had uh, Jordan Grace defeating Trinity to become the new Nightgout uh, champion. You had Havoc and Rosemary moving away from the Courtney Rush and Jessica uh, persona to go back into their Decay characters to win the TNA Knockouts Tag Team Championships. You had Moose defeating Alex Shelley to become your TNA World Champion. And to end the show, you had Nick Nemeth, formerly known as Dolph Ziggler, pop up and go face-to-face with Moose. Hit him with the zigzag, or they're now calling it, I believe, Enter the Danger Zone. And that's how Hard to Kill will go off. Hard to Kill was a good event. I'm missing some of the other moments. Uh, another moment that we had was the had the Ultimate X to start off Hard to Kill with uh, multiple different knockout uh, wrestlers in it. But Giselle Shaw, she would win it. So Giselle Shaw is kind of holding in that X for whenever she wants to cash in to face off for the Knockouts Championship. You had uh, four Fatal 4-Way matchup for the TNA Tag Team titles. Uh, Ace Austin, Chris Bay defending their championships against the Grizzly Young Veterans, uh, the Rascals, and Mike Bailey and uh, Radio Kid. Ace Austin and Chris Bay would retain their tag titles. Um, Hardy Kill was just a good show. Up and down the card, it was good. Um, I did like how a fan did spot um, Mercedes Monet, formerly known as Sasha Banks, and Bailey. They were apparently at the event way up in the Raptors in black hoodies, glasses on to make sure they are there to watch their girl Trinity uh, wrestle. And I do like that Sasha or Mercedes Monet, however you want to know her as, and Bailey, they're going to show up more Sasha because Bailey's kind of doing WWE from time to time. So I think she had a break to go see this. But I like the camaraderie that um, Trinity and Sasha, Mercedes... They have. I do like that camaraderie, and wherever these two might end up, I hope that they're going to have fun where uh, they show up, because it's been reported. Again, I don't pay attention to these too much, but uh, with Trinity losing her knockouts championship at Hard to Kill, it seems that it was reported that she might be going back to the WWE. I don't know if that's certain or not, so... Again, we have to wait and see with that and the reports of Mercedes going to AEW and might be going to WWE. Nobody knows anything about Mercedes yet, but just to know that Trinity is, well, she might be leaving out of TNA. She has a possibility to go back to WWE. It could be interesting to see her go back to WWE with Mercedes. The two that, those two left WWE in 2022 together and for them to probably even show back up in WWE together in 2024 that'll be an interesting uh view but that's for a later date TNA hard to kill they had a great event um now I'm about to move over into their first official TNA impact show under the rechristened TNA wrestling banner now we will first start off with the X-Division six-way matchup you had Mike Bailey going against Kushida Jake something uh, El Hio, Del Vikingo, Trey Miguel, and Laredo Kid. Jake something would win the match when he would get Laredo Kid and hit into the void, or better known as the Black Hole Slam, for the win. This was an X Division style matchup. The only person who did not fit 
quote unquote in the X Division style is Jake something because X Division is more the hybrid uh strike fast moving around uh cruiserweight ish type style. But Jake something he's more of a power guy. He can move fast, but he doesn't do the whole high flying stuff. So he was kind of the odd man out. But it was interesting. Um every guy they did their part is interesting in the fact as I said, Jake something power guy, but he didn't he did not seem out of place, to be per se. Again, it was just an interesting little little something that made the match more interesting because you already had Eric Bales being the X Division guy. And for a heavyweight guy to be in this matchup, it just added a little something. For the heavyweight guy to win, you could kind of see where they might be going. Chris Saban probably defending his X Division championship against Jake something somewhere down the line. And if so, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a great match. Next up, we had Tasha Steeles going against Zaya Brookside. Zaya Brookside would win the match when she would hit the Brookski bomb and then trap Tasha Steeles in for a pin. Uh, the Brook, I think it's the Brook C bomb, I believe I'm saying it right, is when you have your opponent on the top turnbuckle, you grab their arms, and you flip them off the top turnbuckle, and they land on their back. So when she did that to Tasha and then got her in the trap, Got the one, two, three. I was uh I was shocked by that because Zion Brookside, she just came into TNA at Hard to Kill. She's now signed with TNA. I understand they're trying to uh let everyone know who Zion Brookside is, as you already know who Tasha Steele is if you've been watching the TNA product. So I understand Tasha being a not a sacrificial lamb, but being a person to help get Zion Brookside into the eyes of the public. I get it. Um, WWE, they had Zion Brookside on the, I believe, the NXT UK brand. I didn't, I don't remember watching NXT UK, so I don't remember seeing Zion Brookside. I wish that she could have been on the main side for America, so I could have seen more of her, but now since she's over here in TNA, I'll get to see more. I hope that they push her up more, but from my first view of Zion, um, I can see what they're going to see in her. She's a young girl. She has a pretty face. You can market that. You can try to push that. And also, she comes from a wrestling uh, family. She is a, I believe, second generation. Her father is, I believe, Robbie Brookside. So, again, I can see where they could market her and make her almost like an upcoming face for the knockouts division. So, I can see that down the line for Zion Brookside. And not a bad choice, again. Uh, her going against Tasha Steeles, solid matchup between the two. Good job on both the ladies. Now, after this, they would play a replay of AJ Francis, formerly known as Top Dollar in the WWE, uh, choke slamming Joe Hendry at Hard to Kill because AJ Francis, he was there to debut his uh, music video, We Outside with DJ Who Kid, but they got interrupted by Joe Hendry, who would make fun of AJ Francis. AJ Francis wouldn't take kind to it. He would joke slam Joe Hendry at Hard to Kill. So we get a replay of that. After the replay is done, you see Joe Hendry standing backstage, looking to the camera, talking. And the gist of it is, is that he forgives AJ for it. And he kind of apologizes on his own because he understands he probably had too much fun messing around with AJ Francis' own misfortunes. And uh, again... He just wants to say, hey, it's all good. I hope that we can get on the right side of things. And he will say, hey, man, I at least got a laptop out of it because DJ Who could hit Joe Hendry in the back with a laptop at Hard to Kill. And Joe Hendry would 
left with the laptop and say, well, at least you got a laptop, but it seems broken. Probably need to throw it out like with all the rest of the trash. And then he turns around and he puts it in the trash, but inside the trash is DJ Who Kid. So the rivalry between A.J. Francis and Joe Henry is more than likely going to continue. Now, following that, you had a tag team matchup of Frankie Kazarian and Eric Young going against the Grizzly Young Veterans. The Grizzly Young Veterans would win the match by hitting Grit Your Teeth, which is a double code breaker, onto Eric Young to win the match. So it seems Grizzly Young Veterans, I'm not going to say they're here to stay in TNA. I don't think they have a contract signed. I think they're on a pay-by-appearance basis. I don't know. This is just me speculating. Um, I think they're going after Chris Bay and Ace Austin. It would be a great match to see both of these two teams just go at one another for the TNA title. So I hope that's where they're leading with this. Um, But after the fact, you would see Kazarian get upset. And Eric Young, he's just trying to catch his breath. He's uh, disappointed in the loss because this is their second time losing as a team. They lost on the pre-show at Hard to Kill to the system, which is uh, the new faction of, I believe, Brian Myers, Eddie Edwards, and Moose. So they lost to Brian Myers and Eddie Edwards at the pre-show at Hard to Kill. So now, as I said, this is their second time losing as a team. Kazarian, he would close on Eric Young. Uh, he would beat up on Eric Young some more before he hits Fade to Black, which is the dead eye that Hangman Page used, and then he just walks up the ramp. So Kazarian has turned heel, turned out to be a bad guy. I'm cool with that. Uh, Kazarian hopes to make 2024 his year, so it's going to be interesting to see where he goes, and it's going to be interesting to see where Eric Young goes, because I'm pretty sure Eric Young is not going to allow Kazarian to just do that and just walk away. So as I said, it's going to be real interesting to see where these two characters are going to uh, go next. Now, after this, we will get Nick Nimeth coming out to the ring and talking to the people. Nick Nimeth would say that he's here in TNA because um, he's only been in one world. And he's only accomplished a lot of things in one world. And he just wants to test the waters out. And he mentions how he's a big star and he has a big name but he's not going to just come into TNA and just ask for a world title opportunity just like a lot of other people would do. He's actually going to work from the bottom up and earn that championship because this is going to be the first time that he's going to actually earn anything as Nick Nemeth. So that's the reason why he's here. He's here to prove himself and prove to everybody that he can go, which he knows he still can go. So this is just giving him an opportunity to uh, just show off, in my personal opinion. Um, after that, you will see Steve Macklin come out. Steve Macklin would give kudos to Nick for coming over to TNA and such and such, but he calls Nick a bloodsucker because he sees through Nick Nemeth's words, sees through all that goodwill. He calls Nick a phony. He says that he's basically a liar. He's here to suck the blood out of TNA before he goes back to somewhere else. Basically using this as a training facility until he gets called right back up. So Steve Macklin isn't liking that. He isn't going to allow Nick to do that because nobody's going to remember who Nick Nemeth is. They're only going to ask what happened to Dolph Ziggler. So he's going to try to make Nick Nemeth nothing. So you can see the kind of rivalry that's going to be building up between Nick Nimeth and Steve Macklin down the line. And Steve Macklin is a perfect choice for someone like Nick because Steve Macklin, he was a guy that was in WWE. He was paired up with um, another guy in WWE. They 
were trying to do stuff on the main roster, but they didn't get things started. And then when he got cut and then he got signed to uh, TNA during the pandemic, he actually had to start from the bottom in TNA and actually get to the point where he's at now, where he's a former world champion. He's actually one of the most hated guys in uh, TNA. He actually put in the work in to achieve those uh, accolades and be that hated of a character. So for him to see someone like Nick, who was the guy, well, at least in the eyes of the fans for many years, come to TNA and he's making all these gestures and he's here to start from the bottom and work his way up and try to be world champion. He doesn't believe that because of, well, because of all the uh, goodwill that Nick was given in his other world. So after Macklin says all that, Nick will slap him across the face and then hit the danger zone on Steve Macklin to lay him out. So again, this rivalry between Steve Macklin and Nick Nimbeth, I feel is going to be a good one. Next up, we had Jay Vidal come down to the ring and he has a mic in hand. He would remind the people in Vegas, since TNA's in Vegas right now, that he started his career in Vegas. This would get the fans to cheer for him some more, and then he would make fun of the fans, saying that's the reason why I had to leave this place because of you people. And he would say, you guys can't boo me because nobody here can beat me. And then out walks PCO. So you know what we get. We get a PCO versus Jay Vidal matchup. PCO would beat Jay Vidal with a PCO salt off the top turnbuckle to win the match. Now, after this, we will go into our main event. This is Josh Alexander versus Will Ospreay 2. This is the second meeting between both of these guys. And Josh Alexander would win this match by pinfall by hitting the C4 spike. Um, this was a solid, and I mean, not even solid. This was a excellent, brilliant matchup between two of the absolute very best professional wrestlers in the world today. You have Josh Alexander, who is kind of like the heart and soul of TNA wrestling, going against a guy that's known for being legit all around the best in the world wrestler in the entire world, Will Ospreay. And as I said, this is their second time meeting with each other. They did everything. They pulled out all the stops. You had Will Ospreay hitting two. Uh, God, my man, what's it called? What's it called? Uh, when he pulls down the arm elbow pad and just runs over and just nails you in the head with the uh, elbow. Hidden blade. There it is. Hits you with two hidden blades. He hits him with a, uh, God, what is it? I'm missing out some of the moves here. He hits him with, uh, his other finisher, and he hits it with the Storm Driver 93. Josh Alexander, Josh Alexander's kicking out all of that. Josh Alexander's putting in the fights. He's hitting him with the clotheslines. He's hitting him with some super kicks here and there. He even uh, hits him with a Styles Clash. He hits him with a C4. I mean, this, me describing it isn't going to do it justice. I say go to their uh, YouTube page. That whole match is literally up there for you to see. I suggest you strongly go and watch it. If you love professional wrestling, and I mean, you truly do love it, go and watch that match. And I think you will understand how good not only Will Ospreay is, because I think that's a given, because everybody knows, at least if you're a diehard person right now in this day and age, you know who Will Ospreay is. If you have never ever heard of Josh Alexander, go and watch this match, and you'll understand how good of a wrestler Josh Alexander is. And it's not just because he's going against Will Ospreay. No, Josh Alexander really is that guy. So, uh, again, 
I highly suggest you go watch Josh Alexander going against uh, Will Ospreay. Now, um, next week for Impact, it was announced that Trinity, she will be invoking her knockouts championship clause against Jordan Grace. So you'll have that match set for next week on Impact. You'll have Nick Nemeth in-ring debut on Impact when he goes against Zachary Wentz. Those are two matches that are set, as well as you'll have a six-man tag. You have The System, which is Brian Myers, Eddie Edwards, and the new TNA World Champion Moose going against the Motor City Machine Guns and Okada. And by the way, I got to talk about Okada whenever the uh, before the episode ends because there is some news about him that broke over this week. But I'll get to that, as I said, before the episode ends. Now, with that, that is your TNA Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into SmackDown. Uh, SmackDown would open up with Jimmy Uso and Soskoa in the backstage as they're waiting for Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns to roll up. Once Roman shows up, Roman immediately looks at Paul and asks Paul, what did I ask you to do? Fix it. And it's not fixed. So I'm here tonight because I got to fix it. Like, I do with anything, and I do with everything, and he just walks away. And you see Jimmy and Solo just standing there. Solo looks at Jimmy and says, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to fix everything tonight. So we move from that backstage uh, little interaction to in the ring, and we got the contract signing set up. You have Nick Aldis in the middle of the ring with the table, and he introduces each participant for this Fatal 4-Way match for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. At the Royal Rumble, he starts introducing each participant. He introduces AJ Styles first. AJ comes out, he gets in the ring, signs the contract. LA Knight does the same. LA Knight gets in the ring, signs the contract. Uh, Randy Orton, he gets in the ring, signs the contract. And when Nick Aldis introduced Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns doesn't come out. Instead, it's Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman will let Nick Aldis know that Roman Reigns has not uh, been able to look at that contract. Neither has Paul Heyman, neither has Roman Reigns' lawyers. So Roman Reigns will not be signing that contract this evening. So Paul Heyman thinks he's got it out for Roman Reigns not to do this fatal four-way match at the Royal Rumble. Nick Aldis would have to ask Paul, so you're telling me Roman Reigns isn't going to sign the contract? And Paul will say, yep, he's not signing the contract. Nick will say, okay, that's fine. He does have to sign the contract. And Paul, again, think he got the best of Nick. He would start walking away. And Paul would say, well, guess what? Guess uh, the Royal Rumble matchup doesn't have to be a fatal four-way match. It could be a triple threat match for the vacant WWE Undisputed Universal Championship because Roman doesn't want to sign a contract. So you get LA Knight, you get AJ, you get Randy kind of having like a little smirk on their faces. And Paul Heyman, he just rushes directly to the ring. He looks at Nick Aldis and he tells him, I respect you, Nick. I respect you a lot more than you think. But I worry for you because you're about to make the tribal chief upset. And I don't want him to be upset. And I don't want him to do anything to hurt you. So you see Paul constantly trying to talk up Nick Aldis. LA Knight will stop him and tell him to shut up. And basically calls him a piggy because he says, if you keep talking, I'm going to cut some bacon off your back. LA Knight would talk, and he would strike up at one point that Paul Heyman did mention how this should be a fatal four-way match. This should be a one-on-one matchup, and LA Knight would talk that point up by saying how he had Roman Reigns beat at, I believe it was, what, Crown Jewel? 
he would have beaten Roman Reigns if it wasn't for his cousins. So you see him talk some more, and he calls both Randy and AJ Johnny Come Lately's because they took some time off for vacation for months. AJ would remind LA Knight that if it wasn't for the bloodline taking AJ out, LA Knight wouldn't have had the opportunity. As a matter of fact, LA Knight stepped over the body of AJ to get that opportunity with Roman Reigns, and he would say, oh yeah, you still lost. So you get this little moment between AJ and LA Knight because they've been having some hostility to one another. They get to brawling. Those two brawl in the ring, to outside the ring, up the ramp, up the stage. Nick Aldis would leave the ring to go between those two guys, trying to stop them, but there's no stopping. Backstage producers and referees would come out to separate LA Knight and AJ. They continue to fight. They fight to the back. Now you see Paul Heyman on the apron. He's just happy by what he calls here. But he forgets that he has a Viper in that ring. Randy would walk over to Paul Heyman and puts his hand on uh, Paul's tie and start wrapping the tie around his fingers. And he lets Paul know, I know what you're trying to do. And it's not going to work. I want to let you know something. I'm going to take care of Solo tonight on SmackDown. And then after that, I'm going to take care of Roman Reigns and introduce him, or shall I say reintroduce him, to the three most dangerous letters in WWE, RKO. So you get this from Randy. He lets go of Paul. Paul looks scared. And you just see how Paul is not liking any of this for Roman. Now, we move away from this. Uh, later in the night, you see Nick Aldis about to walk into Roman's locker room. But before he gets there, you see AJ tell Nick that he wants a match with LA Knight. Nick will make it official, so we get that match set. You see Nick stop at the door of Roman Reigns' uh, locker room, and he doesn't walk in there. He just walks away. Uh, inside the locker room, you see Roman Reigns talking with the troops, Solo, Jimmy, Paul. And again, Paul sitting there. Roman is kind of chastising Jimmy for not being out there with Paul, how he sent Paul out there by himself. And as he's chastising Jimmy, Solo would just walk in front of uh, Roman. Roman would look at Solo and kind of calm the bass out of his voice and just be silent. Solo would tell Roman that last week was his bad. He told Roman that he's going to make up for it. And that tonight, he's going to handle it. And you just see him leave the locker room. And Jimmy follows behind. Now, what does Solo mean by that? I'll get to that when the time comes. Now, the first match of the night will be a triple, not triple threat, God, six-man tag. It'll be the LWO's Carlito, Cruz del Toro, Joaquin Wilde, with Selena Vega in their corner, going against Legado del Fantasma, which is Andrew Garza, Humberto Carrillo, and Santos Escobar. Santos Escobar, Humberto, Angel, Legato de Fantasma, they will win this match by pinfall when Carlito would hit Humberto Carrillo with a backstabber, but he doesn't know that Santos is the legal man. And as Carlito hits uh, Humberto with a backstabber, Santos would get in the ring, roll up Carlito with a uh, roll up, pin him, hold the tights, one, two, three, get the win. So you got Legato del Fantasma getting a win over LWO. Not a bad uh, six-man matchup to start the show of SmackDown, at least in the in-ring competition. And also, by the way, I kind of understand why Santos is upset at Carlito and upset at the LWO for picking Carlito over him. 
Because in the entrance set, when they were coming out to do their entrance to LWO, they didn't come out to the LWO uh, graphics in the back. They didn't come out with the LWO music. They came out with Carlito's graphic in the back, Carlito's music. The only thing LWO that was represented was literally them wearing an LWO t-shirt. When Santos was in the group, he didn't come out to his theme song. No, he came out to LWO's theme song. He came out to LWO's graphic. And once Santos has left and you got Carlito here, Carlito doesn't represent LWO like Santos did. And that's what Santos is basically all about. And he's been like getting at his former uh, stable mates about. You guys picked a guy who's basically selfish here and he's not even here to represent the group like that. When I was here to represent the group, you guys picked him over me. So I understand why Santos is pissed off at Carlito. I understand that completely. So for Santos to get this win over Carlito and for him to get his team to this win, it's going to be interesting to see how next week's match uh, filters because Carlito will be going one-on-one with Santos Escobar next week on SmackDown. And again, it's going to be real interesting to see when someone in the LWO is at least going to figure out and see that Santos was kind of right about Carlito in a way. Now, after this, we would have a backstage segment from Bobby Lashley and Street Profits. They would cut a promo on Karrion Cross and his group, The Final Testament. They talk about how The Final Testament has been messing with the wrong guys. And now, if you wanted to fight, you could have just asked them because they're businessmen. So this is their uh, little invitation for The Final Testament to come see them next week. And they could have a little sit down, not even sit down, but a little brawl. Final Testament, they would respond later in the night, and it's official. Next week, the Final Testament will be meeting with Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits face-to-face. I predict it's probably going to lead into a street fight next week. I would like to see it. Why not? It's going to be the final SmackDown leading into the Royal Rumble, and it's probably going to have Royal Rumble implications uh, leading into it. So again, I have no problem with that. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next week. Uh, after this, we had a tag team matchup. We had Pretty Deadly going against British Strong Style, Tyler Bate, and Pete Dunne, the former Butch. WWE has finally allowed Pete Dunne to go back to his name, Pete Dunne, not this whole Butch persona and all that mess. They finally allowed him to go back to being the uh, just straight-up brawler, bruiserweight that he was before he got into WWE, trying to snap limbs, trying to crank on the joints and all that stuff. I mean, he did that as Butch, but as Pete Dunne, you saw it in this match that he just was more uh, aggressive with the limbs, with the trying to snap wing and all that stuff. He was just more getting to it. And I like that. And I'm glad that we're getting this version of Pete Dunne back. In the end, British Strong Style would win the match when Pete Dunne would hit Elton Prince with better end. So again, happy to see Pete Dunne back here. Now, after this, we would go into the KO show. Kevin Owens would have the United States champion Logan Paul as his guest. And the gist of this is that Logan Paul is here because, well, he's here to tell Kevin Owens why he's here in WWE and how Kevin Owens is the reason why he's here. And he would show Kevin Owens a clip of himself, Logan Paul, getting a Stone Cold Stunner from Kevin Owens at WrestleMania Three years ago, in 2021, when Kevin Owens was having that feud with Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn brought Logan Paul as a guest to that WrestleMania. So, once that clip is done playing, Logan Paul would say that he was embarrassed in front of 70,000 people. And everyone cheered. 
and he's kind of feeling that embarrassed moment right now after reliving it, and he's just here to prove everyone that he belongs in this ring. Kevin Owens would tell Logan Paul, I'm going to let you know right now, I don't even remember doing that to you, but let me tell you something, dude. I've been doing this for 25 years. You're just another one of these guys that I do this stuff to. But he does give some credit to Logan Paul for putting in the work, and he's kind of took into this business way faster than anyone has ever kind of given him credit or just came to come into this business. Because Logan Paul, I'm not going to lie. Again, I don't like to do personally, but I got to give the devil his due. My man has been working his butt since he got into the WWE, since it was announced that he was having his first matchup when it was him and Miz going against the Mysterios at WrestleMania what, 2022? Man has been putting in work. He did a lot of uh, working, a lot of trying to better himself in the ring. And Logan Paul, he's been doing it. So for him to be at this point and be United States champion, again, you got to give the devil his due. Kevin Owens would say he is good, but he's not one of them. He's not a Rey Mysterio. He's not a Seven Rollins. He's not a Sami Zayn. He's not a Kevin Owens. Logan Paul would say that he thank God he's not one of them. He doesn't want to be one of them. He's one of one. He lists off uh, multitudes of nicknames for himself. He even calls himself a billionaire. And he's basically just going to knock out Kevin Owens. Now, after that, we get Kevin Owens responding. Kevin Owens will respond by saying that Logan Paul has been protected by people, by individuals, by uh, the WWE, because he brings WWE notoriety. He brings up, uh, he's used as a tool to help out things here and there, and uh, it's a joke that's been going on too long, and he's going to put it into it at the Red Rumble. Logan Paul doesn't listen to that, but he does listen to how Kevin Owens says that, using that word protection, and he mentioned how Kevin Owens has that protection on his arm, that cast, and how he's the only, the only reason why Kevin Owens was able to knock out Logan Paul was because he had that cast on him, and that Logan Paul knocks out people clean. And it's going to take him one second to knock out Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens will say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to take this cast off. And guess what? I'm still going to knock you out. And as you see, Kevin Owens about to take the cast off. Logan Paul will get a cheap shot. Pop Kevin Owens. Drop Kevin Owens to the mat. And that's the end of the segment. So again, we're building this up for Kevin Owens and Logan Paul for the Royal Rumble for the United States Championship. Not a bad way. I like it. I like where we're going with it. And again, I think Logan Paul is going to have a great match with Kevin Owens at the Royal Rumble for the United States Championship. Now, next up, we had the Women's Tag Team Championships being defended. We had Katana Chance and Kaden Carter defending their titles against the Unholy Union of Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. However, the Tag Team Champions would retain their championships. Katana Chance and Kaden Carter would retain their said titles by hitting the after party on Alba Fire to Win the match, solid match up here between both of these ladies. Uh, damage control, they were out at commentary watching the match up here because Asuka and Kyrie Sane are gunning for the tag team title. So that's the reason why damage control was out here. Um, so Katana Chance, Kaden Carter, I do like, as I said before, I've always championed them since they were down in NXT. I championed them since they're on the main roster now. And now that they're champions. I'm glad that they are champions. I hope that they remain champions for some time because a legitimate tag team needs to hold on to those titles and bring legitimacy to them. This is a team that can do it. Uh, the Own Holy Union, they were cool, but I need to see them work as a tag team way more than the little bit of time that they did have in 2023. 
Um, with that being the case, Katana and Kaden retaining the titles. It was a brilliant choice for that. And now with that being done, next week's matchup has been confirmed. It's going to be Katana and Kaden defending their tag team titles against the Kabuki Warriors, which is Asuka and uh, Kairi Sane next week on SmackDown. So that's going to be great. I hope that they have some time. And if anything, this might set up uh, the Kabuki Warriors winning or Bailey might make a mishap, get overzealous, and cost her team to lose their matchup next week against the Tag Team Champions because, again, next week's SmackDown is the last SmackDown until the next day uh, Royal Rumble. So, again, that can have Royal Rumble implications off of that. So, it's going to be real interesting to see with that. Uh, next up, you had a backstage interview from Carmelo Hayes. Again, this NXT SmackDown deal, I like it. You see a lot of NXT stars pop up on SmackDown like this. And for Carmelo, it seems that they want to do something with Melo on the main roster. They're just slowly introducing him more and more to the main roster. And it seems that his time on NXT is probably winding up sometime. But they're probably going to finish the Melo trick story before uh, he moves up officially to the main roster. But that's for future down-the-line stuff there. Uh, Carmelo's here. He talks about his match that he had with Austin Theory last week and how uh, he didn't win or lose because he got called off and how he is still him. Outrolls Austin Theory with Grayson Waller. Austin Theory would complain how uh, Carmelo Hayes tried to injure him last week and somehow he ends up getting an interview on his show and that doesn't sit right with Austin Theory. Melo would say, okay, we can spin the block and run it back. So, why don't we do it next week on SmackDown? Austin Theory says, I got something to do next week on Friday, but Grace Waller will stop him and say, no, you don't got nothing to do. Melo, you got it. Next week, you versus Austin Theory. Austin doesn't look happy about it, so you can tell it's kind of going to build some tension between Austin Theory and Grace Waller. I at least thought there was going to be some months before we get some uh, tension between these two, but it seems they're moving straight to it. Now, after this, we move over into AJ Styles going against LA Knight. This would move into a no contest after AJ and LA Knight beat the piss out of one another. Sosokoa will come out. Sosokoa will hit LA Knight with a small spike outside of the ring. He would get in the ring, start beating up on AJ, hit AJ with a small spike, grab a microphone, send it two down, one to go. And he calls out Randy Orton so him and Randy can have a match. Now, this match would happen. Jimmy Uso will come out. Try to distract Randy Orton, and you will see LA Knight appear. You see Jimmy start walking back from LA Knight, and then he walks up into AJ Styles. Now you see AJ uh, fight with Jimmy, they send Jimmy to the back, and you see LA and AJ Styles walk towards the ring. Randy gets up, he looks at both of them, and so uh, so cool. He's behind Randy. Perch with his thumb, looking to deliver the small spike. Randy will turn around, sees Solskoa, hit him with RKO, cover them, one, two, three. That's the main event. Now, after that, you see AJ and LA Knight roll into the ring. You see all three guys, Randy, Knight, and AJ, stare at one another. AJ and LA Knight, they get into it some more. Randy's trying to calm them down, trying to keep them in peace, because remember, they need to stay together to take out Roman Reigns, but that doesn't happen. Uh, LA would lay out 
AJ with a strike. Uh, LA would talk crap over AJ Styles' body. Randy would look over and kind of look concerned for a little bit. He would uh, look over at LA Knight's face. LA Knight would turn over to Randy, and Randy would hit LA with an RKO. So AJ, he would get up. Randy kind of taps AJ on the back, kind of points at LA Knight, trying to tell him, like, hey, look at this. And AJ looks over at LA and uh, opens up for Randy to hit AJ with the RKO. So now you see AJ laid out. You see LA Knight laid out. Randy standing tall. Randy turns around and he hits, well, he gets hit with a Superman punch by Roman Reigns. So Roman Reigns is standing tall in the ring. Nick Aldis, he's out here. He's at ringside. Roman will look at Nick Aldis, and he has a smile on his face, and he tells Nick Aldis basically to come here. Nick Aldis will come here, hand Roman the contract. Roman will sign it, and as Roman's going to give Nick Aldis the contract, Nick Aldis has his hand out. Roman will just drop it on the floor outside the ring. So again, this is continuing the little beef that Nick Aldis has with Roman Reigns because Roman has all this power. He usually used to wield it over Adam Pierce whenever he was a general manager of SmackDown. But since Nick Aldis is here, he doesn't take a crap from Roman. So this continues their little beef that they got. So once he does that, he puts his focus back on Randy. Roman starts getting himself hyped up in the corner so he can deliver the spear to Randy Orton once Randy gets to his feet. Once Randy gets to his feet, Roman does his typical howling to the air, runs straight towards Randy. Randy would pop Roman with the RKO, and that's how SmackDown would end. So Randy got the better of all three of his Royal Rumble uh, competitors that night. And again, next week, SmackDown, the final episode of SmackDown going into the Royal Rumble is going to be real interesting to see how this all happens with all four guys on SmackDown next week. Now, with that being said, that was your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage will start off with Chris Jericho going against Matt Seidel with Don Callis on commentary. Chris Jericho would defeat uh, Matt Seidel with the Judas Effect for the win. Don Callis, he mentioned on commentary how he's going to take out Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho and Don Callis, their whole business isn't over yet. As Chris Jericho walks up the ramp, he gets on the stage. Uh, Kanosuke Takeshita would attack Chris Jericho from behind. Uh, referees and security will try to separate Takeshita and Chris Jericho. Um, Christopher Daniels, he would get hit by Takeshita. Takeshita meant to hit Chris Jer- uh, Christopher Daniels with that and drop Daniels. And then you see him walk away. Um... Daniels being involved, I understand he's a producer, and they just pop him in the head, so they use him as that, but Christopher Daniels still can wrestle, so if this sets up for uh, Christopher Daniels versus Kanosuke Dikesha on a Dynamite or even a Rampage next week, I'm all for it, because I like Christopher Daniels, so I kind of have a soft spot for Christopher Daniels, that was my guy in TNA, so again, if that sets up for a match next week with you and those two guys, I'm cool with that. Uh, after this, we had Pinta El Zero Miero going against Anthony Henry. Penta would win the match by pitfall by hitting Fear Factor, better known as the Package Pile Driver, uh, to win against Anthony Henry. Next up, we had Chris Statlander with Stokely Hathaway in her corner going against Queen Amanada. Chris Statlander would defeat Queen Amanada with 
I will say which is a uh, spinning uh, key crusher, or better known as a spinning fisherman buster to, or fisherman suplex to win the match. Uh, Queen Amanada, this is her what? How many times has she showed up on AEW? She is a contract wrestler, but she constantly be having good matches across the board with everybody that she's been going against. Last person it was against Sheeta last week. The week before that was Mariah May. This week is Chris Statlander. Queen Amanada has been putting on great matches with each of these ladies. So I'm glad that she signed. I'm looking to see her finally get a win sometime down the line because she's just too good in the ring for her not to at least win a match. So that's crazy to me. But hey, for Chris to win doesn't make it bad because they're continuing with the story of uh, Stokely following Chris Statlander and just being beside Chris Statlander for what reason? Because he has a crush on her and he probably wants to see her win and probably turn her evil that could probably be a, a thing uh after that you see in the back willow Nightingale. she makes it to the arena willow is talking to chris and chris asks her are you okay willow tells her i couldn't make my flight and you see stokely act as charlotte oh you serious you couldn't oh but if you were really her friend you would have made it uh any time to get here you see Willow look at that and look at Stokely and say, no, the flight was still able to make it here. I just wasn't able to get there. It seemed like someone canceled my ticket. Stokely Hathaway, who has stroke to kind of do what he wants to do in AEW because he has a position, you kind of like connect the dots here that Stokely did it because he's able to be next to Chris Stanlander because Chris is Willow Nightingale's friend and they've kind of been like inseparable with one another for the last couple weeks that they've been on television or at least at least a couple months so you get in this back ring between willow and stokely chris will have to stop it and it just seems we're moving along in the story and i want to see where it leads up to is it going to lead to chris hitting willow and sticking with stokely is it going to lead to both of the women beating up on stokely for the girl power stuff which again i'm cool with stokely on television just seems like great tv or is it going to lead to a shocking revelation? Willow turns on Chris Statlander and she has Stokely as her manager. That'll be crazy, but again, a lot of things can happen. It's just experimentation. Why not? So again, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be real interesting to see uh, where we land. Now, we move over into the main event. Darby Allen going against Jeff Hardy. This is everything you want it to be, except for using like chairs. They don't use chairs, they don't lose uh, use ladders, but they use tables here. Uh, Darby Allen, he will get the win by countering a uh, twist of fate into a roll-up pin to get the win. Or, as they say, call it a package, small package, not small package, but got a package pin on Jeff Hardy to win the matchup. Uh, Jeff and Darby, they do their stuff to throw themselves, throw their bodies into the wind. Jeff Hardy, he would throw Darby over the commentary table, even throw the commentary table top onto Darby. Jeff Hardy would be more aggressive in this matchup with Darby. Uh, Darby would move out the way as Jeff would go for the uh, the poetry, poetry motion when he runs up an object to try to hit a leg lariat on his opponent. Darby would move. Jeff would land on the barricade with a leg. Uh, there's a moment Jeff Hardy has a table, puts Darby on it, tries to hit him with a swanton bomb, Darby would move, and again, solid match between both, 
daredevils, guys that are willing to put their bodies on the line for what their craft is. Uh, solid match between them. Now Darby beats Jeff in this. So uh, we have that. Uh, Darby, he goes and gives respect to Jeff. He puts his two arms out for to give Jeff a pound. Jeff seems like he's about to do it, but then he just dips and rolls out of the ring. And that's how Rampage will end with Jeff going to the back. Um, I like it because this is continuing the story of Matt and Jeff Hardy kind of being pissed off how they're not being featured on Collision or featured on Dynamite. They're being restricted to Rampage and how they're stars and how they feel they should be represented on uh, AEW television. So again, this fits into the whole story of what they're doing, the whole character driven of what they're doing. I just want to see where it goes. Because again, to boo Jeff Hardy is kind of a hard task. Everybody loves Jeff. To boo Matt isn't that hard. So it's going to be real interesting to see the path and see how they get people to boo Jeff Hardy. But again, it can be done. It's been done by TNA one time. But other than that, not so much. So again, it's going to be interesting to see where we go with this. Um, but anyway, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get out of here, there's two things I have to mention. Uh, the first one, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has been reported that Seth uh, tore something in his leg. It could be serious, could not be serious. We technically do not know the whole full scope of it. But it has been said from WWE's own Twitter page and even on commercials that Seth Rollins will be out on Monday Night Raw to talk to the people about his future. So they're going to be talking about, so hopefully Seth's going to be talking about uh, if how long he's going to be out or if he's truly is injured. And if he's out for a long time, this could be the perfect time for Damian Priest to cash in his money in the bank, take the World Heavyweight Championship and to be a complete scumbag that way and just say, well, I want it even without pinning Seth Rollins like that way. Or they could add a little spice to the Royal Rumble matchup at the Royal Rumble, where it could be the winner of the Royal Rumble will be the new World Heavyweight Champion, the same way that they did with uh, Roman Reigns. What year was that? Ooh, was that 20... Ooh, no, that was 2016, because that's when AJ Styles debuted. So they could rerun that back up, what, eight years later? So we could have that back again. We'll wait and see what happens. It's just a crying shame because somehow, somewhere, when it's towards the mania season, it's always something with Seth and his leg. And again, I'm not trying to make that sound like a disparaging remark. It's just, that's just the truth. Uh, last time he had a leg complication was WrestleMania. It was during WrestleMania 2017 when he was in his build-up to Triple H. Whenever he got attacked by Samoa Joe and Samoa Joe put him in the coquina clutch and they went down. Uh, Seth tweaked something in his leg and that kind of put their matchup at WrestleMania between him and Triple H in jeopardy. So now you got this right here. It's just sad to hear that about Seth and I hope that he's going to uh, do well, recover, and if he can make it to WrestleMania, allow him to. But if not, I want him to recover uh, the best that he can and just get back whenever he can. Now, secondly, I mentioned this when I talked about uh, Impact Okada. It has been confirmed by New Japan. New Japan has put it out that Okada will not be renewing his contract with New Japan. His contract will be up by the end of the month in January. So after January, Okada will be a free agent. And we have no idea where he 
uh, may end up. Now, he could show up in AEW, which he has friends with New Japan, not New Japan, God, uh, Brian Danielson and the Young Bucks. He's been friends with the Young Bucks for some years now. They even chronicalized that on their Being the Elite series that they did on YouTube. So that's kind of well known in the wrestling atmosphere, ecosphere, if you will. And um, I don't know if he's going to go to TNA. TNA, I don't see on Okada's radar. I mean, he's going there for next week's episode on TNA. But do I see him actually being a full-fledged roster member on TNA? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I mean, if he shows up on TNA and he's a full-fledged member, that'll be something different because I don't expect a big-time a superstar like Okada to be there. People might say, well, what about Nick Nimeth? You don't expect him? Nick Nimeth, I see him wanting to do that before he goes to AEW because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen for AEW, and I feel that Nick Nimeth will get lost in the shuffle. That's the reason why he picked um, Impact to be his spot. But for Okada, for him to choose Impact instead of AEW, again, it just... It would feel different. It would just look different, at least for me, at least in my opinion. But he has opportunity for him to go over to TNA and just do a couple uh, appearances here and there. And also, TNA, they have a work relationship with, uh, not Impact, because they are Impact. TNA has a work relationship with New Japan. So it could lead him to go back to New Japan. Or if he goes to AEW, guess what? They have a work relationship with New Japan. So they could just have him go back to New Japan whenever they want him to show up. Or he goes to the WWE. Now, I know what people are thinking. Why would he go to WWE? You see what they're doing to Nakamura. You see what they're doing to Asuka. You see what they're doing to Akira Tozawa. You see what they're doing to Io Sky and uh, Kyrie Say, I know what you're thinking. But I'm going to say this. Shisuke Nakamura under the Triple H banner in NXT, he was the man. Asuka under the Triple H banner in NXT, he, she was the woman. She was the one. Uh, Kyrie saying she didn't get the build like that. And I don't understand why it didn't work for her in NXT like that. I don't understand. I understand he had a mega monster as Shayna Baszler at the time. But Kyrie saying it just didn't have that same feeling that Asuka had. That's just the way I saw it and sensed it. And you look back at it, it just didn't. Click something didn't with Kyrie Sane in NXT. It just didn't uh, do it. Io Sky, Io Sky under the NXT banner for Triple H. At first, she was cool and everything, and then whenever they turned her heel, then she became like the coolest that you would just see of her. And she—that's the uh, Io Sky that we got now, the coolest like female athlete of Io Sky that you can get. So again. It's going to be real interesting if Okada shows up and now the WWE is technically under Triple H with the creative uh, direction, but not under Triple H's own like WWE like family run business model. It's going to be real interesting to see if Okada does show up to WWE. It's going to be real interesting just in general. But Okada, he's been with New Japan for uh, 12, 13 years under the Rainmaker uh, persona. And now for him to be leaving the company that he became worldwide famous for being is going to be real interesting to uh, see where he lands. And it's interesting because 
New Japan, they just are going to be leaving uh, Tamatanga. Tamatanga, he's leaving <laughs> New Japan too at the end of this month. So, yeah, man, it's going to be real interesting to see where what happens, where these two guys are going to be showing up, and uh, if people are going to be following these two out of New Japan. But again, it's going to be real interesting. And 2024 just happened. Imagine how many other contracts are going to be ending in WWE, in AEW. 2024 is going to be a real crazy year. I think a lot of people are just going to be just like fly-by-nights. Not even fly-by-nights like that because that sounds disrespectful. But going off to just different companies that you didn't expect them to go. So, again, 2024, I think it's going to be a real interesting year in the world of professional wrestling. Especially with Okada, franchise player, a franchise name from New Japan, leaving his home of New Japan to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Now, with that being said, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. If you guys did not listen to my midweek episode, it is up to you right now. It is up and available, so go check that out. Always remember that I do come out with a Sunday episode, which we'll be releasing tomorrow, where I talk about everything that happened within the news, uh, worldly news, might I add, on Sundays. So that's going to be available to you tomorrow. And also past episodes are available to you right now, wherever you get your podcasts on any podcast sites. Now, with all that being said, I want you guys to have a great day. Have a great Saturday. Please stay warm as best you can if you're living over in the East Coast side, over here in the Americans or, or in America. Uh, elsewhere, I have no idea. If you are, if it's cold over there, try to stay warm. If it's warm, try to at least get a little bit of cold as best you can. Try to just balance your body out. That's all I'm trying to get with this. Uh, have a great day. You'll hear from me more tomorrow on my Sunday episode if you listen to that. Uh, you'll hear from me again Wednesday, or if you just want to listen to wrestling, you'll hear from me again next week, where I'll be talking to you guys again about the World Professional Wrestling on Saturdays, but also where Rumble will be having it next week, and I'll probably be giving you my review of that next week as well, probably on a Sunday, or Monday, whatever to do. But anyway, have a great day, I love you guys, take care. <laughs>